Welcome to another episode of Lunatics Radio Hour. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And Alan is wearing his zombie t-shirt because today's episode, as you know from clicking on the title, is all about zombies. It's a complete coincidence that I'm wearing the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Alan likes to dress up for each episode. I do, despite the fact that it's a podcast. <laughs> we are so excited about this episode. Obviously, zombies are so important to the his What? I'm just curious where you're going. Zombies are just so important to society today. You gave me such a look. Zombies are very important to the history of horror, right? They're such a huge subgenre. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, you you love zombies. I would say for you, zombie movies are a top thing, right? There there was a chapter of my life Uh where my friends and I were all about zombie movies. Speaking of which... Later in this program, <laughs> this program, we yeah. have a very, very special guest that will be doing uh, a bit of, well, we'll be discussing some zombie films. Yes. And he'll also be doing a dramatic read of one of the best zombie stories ever written. Yes. And we should actually take this moment, I think, to address the new format. We have a new format. We yes, we have a new format. I'm oh. I've been working on this new format for so long. Oh oh, the the bonus yeah yeah. So what we're gonna do just because I don't know for us this podcast actually started you know in the early days as just a a way for us to read horror stories right and you say just but like no it no, was right. a that was the focus platform yeah. uh yeah. a avenue. <laughs> to artistic expression exactly and that was the fun part and so now we've evolved organically to doing the history of these things which is also really really fun and exciting but we feel like sometimes the stories can get lost a little bit at the end of the episodes right and so that we have this new new system I, yes i'm gonna interject okay and say the stories aren't getting lost in the system okay it's just that we have too many stories now. Right. There are so many episodes now mm-hmm. where it's like, do we read this story for it or this story? I wrote all of these ones and they're all so great. And this person volunteered to read this and this celebrity voice actor <laughs> wants to read this one. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, gosh, how do we pick? And so I think this is just a stronger format Yeah. to present all of them. And it's also fun because it lets us have like themed weeks. So essentially here's the format. Mondays, as always, late Sunday slash Monday morning, the history episodes will come out, right? So the zombie history of zombies is coming out Monday. Then later in the week. If you're Vincent in France, it might be coming out on Tuesday. No, it would be coming out on Sunday. Oh, even better. (laughs) Surprise, Vincent. And then later in the week on Thursday, we're going to put out a shorter kind of bonus companion episode for these big history deep dives. That's just going to be not again, not just, but it's going to be made up of short stories that have been written by me, that have been written by other writers, that have been written by Alan and voice acted by various people. So it'll be Monday, deep dive into the history of this thing. Thursday, here are some really cool creepypastas and short stories and whatever that go with that theme. So this week's theme is zombies. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And as we know, and so come back on Thursday for some really haunting, creepy stories read by some cool, awesome voice actors. Or if you're like most people 
don't follow a timetable and just listen whenever you want to. Right, but I, I, yeah, because sure. it's on demand. This is on demand. Yeah, you're not freaking tuning in at prime time. All right, okay, you know, that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> so anyway, that is you know, every week is not going to follow that format because there's some weeks that we'll do an interview like we did last week and it just won't make sense. But when we do kind of like deep deep dives into things, I think it's fun to have to break out sort of the exploratory side of it and the the cold hard facts which is also a great tool when speaking to people like adam bashian who we talked about you know his business and all of these fun horror things but didn't really fall into a narrative scope this still lets him contribute to the narrative aspect of this podcast which i think is the most special part so yeah exactly like we we let you know before adam and his girlfriend laura voice acted some really exciting stories that are not going to be this week, but in a very soon upcoming week. So, And they're really good. They're really good, yeah. So Top, easily. Top notch. T- easily, yeah, within the top notch. <laughs> within the top notch, yes, <laughs> for sure. So speaking of this new format, one quick thing before we move on to the actual episode, just that if you are a writer and you're interested in writing for us, we have a whole system in place to try to open up the scope. We want people to get involved. We want this to be a collaborative community podcast that everyone can, you know, use as writing prompts and stuff. So if you want to be given kind of updates on what themes we're looking for in in the future, send me an email or DM me films.lunatics at gmail.com or the Lunatics Project on Instagram, and we will get you added to that newsletter. One other quick deadline notice for everybody, which is that what? Uh, DLN. (laughs) One other DLN for everybody is that... March 1st is the deadline for submissions to the spring issue of Lunatics Magazine. So if you are a photographer, a writer, an illustrator, a comic book artist, whatever, if you can take pictures of your fine art, again, we want to put you in our magazine. Um, We have a magazine that comes out a couple times a year that features spooky, creepy art, but some of it's also not spooky. The theme is Opposites and Duality. Um, So totally different project. But if you are interested in being in Lunatics Magazine, get in touch with me as well. Same channels. And uh, we will talk about that. All right. Zombie time. Yeah. ZT. You're you're into the abbreviations today. eh? It will become crystal clear later. All right. So today's sources. The Internet. History.com article. The History of Zombies. PBS documentary with Emily Zarka. The Origins of the Zombie from Haiti to the U.S. An article from The Atlantic um, by Mark Marini, a Screen Rant article by Michael Kennedy, and of course, our dear friend Wikipedia. Before we get into all of this rich history, Alan, yeah, let's define a zombie. Uh, a zombie? Well, that's a loaded question because it depends on what kind Talk of... Talk about a pop culture zombie. A pop culture 2021 zombie. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Like, I'm talking about what people will most be familiar with, not the origins. Okay. Well, in my opinion... Yes. A zombie is a reanimated corpse mm-hmm. that is mindless, mostly mindless. It functions on basic animalistic instincts to feed, and that is it. Merriam-Webster defines a zombie as a willless and speechless human held to have died and been supernaturally reanimated, reanimated, or a person held to resemble the so-called walking dead, 
a person markedly strange in appearance or behavior. Or three, a mixed drink made of several kinds of rum, liqueur, and fruit juice. Not counting some of the historic ways that we're going to get into. Zombies are usually made in two ways, correct? They are either a reawakened or reanimated corpse, or they are a living human who was infected in some way by a zombie gene. Would you agree? Zombie gene. I wouldn't use the word gene. Okay, well, that was me, so that's fine. I would say the more pop culture reference would be virus. Mm-hmm. Okay, but like, what causes the virus? So it's, like... it's always, you know, it's it's a bit of sci-fi because it makes no sense that any kind of virus could survive at all in dead tissue. Mm-hmm. You know, let alone reanimate said dead tissue. Right. There's no energy source, you know. So regardless, it is a virus that is usually transmitted from subject to subject via uh, fluids. So bites, um, scratches. I don't know how scratches uh, are fluid-based, but in a lot of movies, if you get scratched, you also become a zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, my, But very, very rarely is it airborne. Right. Uh, um, and you know, it's, it's not unheard of. There's, Cause that would be a bad mechanic. Cause then everyone would just instantly be a zombie, right? Well, no. Uh, so now we're getting into like walking dead territory, which is a really cool mechanic. And I love it a lot where it's just a virus that everyone has. It's yeah, it's a, it's a virus that doesn't affect you when you're living, but when you die, the virus suddenly kicks into high gear and reanimates you into a zombie. There's this great book series Mm -hmm. that for whatever crazy reason I decided to read during quarantine (laughs) and it is about a pandemic. I didn't know this at the time. I just thought it was like a zombie universe that also had superheroes and it's called X Heroes. Oh, yeah. And I read all the books and I love them very much. I love the author. How many books are there in the series? Uh, Five books, I think. Oh, all right. So it's a, a big boy. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a big boy. <laughs> so this series, written by Peter Kleins, uh, I picked it up because it just has a really fun premise. You have superheroes, and you have a zombie outbreak, and it just it's like a little fanboy in a nutshell, right? Yeah, totally. I, I don't want to give anything away, but everything is like really intermeshed, and like the story gets very... It's, it's a lot deeper than I was expecting it to be. Oh, I love that. Um, but what mythos exists there is like, yeah, everybody has the zombie virus right so everybody will come back right and the reason why people die from getting bit by a zombie is that the human mouth just has so so much bacteria and disease Mm. which is totally true (laughs) if you get bit by a person it will absolutely get infected there's like this new trend on social media where people are like people with microscopes like probably like biology students or something are like on tiktok and stuff like swabbing things Uh and then showing you like the petri dishes and it's like upsetting like cans you know like like aluminum cans that you drink soda out of or beer or whatever yep swabbing that like walmart shopping carts or even like your sink your hairbrush and now i'm like gonna become a huge germaphobe because it's like a, a trend that's like very upsetting well, in X Heroes, so you have, you know, all these zombies walking around, biting more humans, and these diseases pass on to yeah. the new zombies. And because they're dead, they have no immune system to fight this off. And so everyone just becomes a conglomerate petri dish. <laughs> and so basically every horrible disease 
just keeps getting added together because right. there's in, in, normally these diseases would kill people and they would stay in the ground. Right. But because these diseases keep walking around and keep getting spread to, from wear zombie your mask, to zombie, everybody stay home, right. wear your mask. It basically, when people get bit, I keep saying basically. So when people get bit, they get infected with every disease known to man simultaneously. Jesus. And that's why they die really fast. God, stop going to indoor dining. Also, to your experience, and we actually watched a movie last night that I know we're going to talk about later. But besides that movie, it's very uncommon that zombies speak besides groaning or moaning. I won't say it's uncommon. Oh. I will say it is the minority. There are a number of zombie franchises that just change the mythos. Right. There's one really famous series called Return of the Living Dead. Mm -hmm. And this was actually the sister series to Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Yep. Which we'll talk about extensively. Yep. And in that, all of the zombies talk. In Reanimator, all of the zombies talk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's not rare. It's just less common than your Romero zombie trope. Right. So tons of recommendations, right? I think everyone, there's going to be so many, <laughs> so many things we talk about throughout this. Yeah. This if you want a full list of the movies that we mentioned in this, just click the link below. Oh, that's going to take me so long to put Sorry. together. <laughs> so we're going to talk through this, right? And there's two cultural things we're going to focus on that are totally different, right? One is ancient Greece, which is sort of the earliest evidence of things that may be considered zombies and actually ties into a lot of the other main monster tropes that we see okay so we're going to talk about it for that reason okay but then we're going to spend the majority of time talking about haiti because and i want this to be very clear to everybody when we're talking about zombies as we know them 100 percent, they come from haiti and and the enslaved people who were brought there in the 1516 through 1800s mm -hmm. so i just want that to be very clear because this is going to come up a lot throughout this episode, but the zombies were, have become this huge pop cultural iconic thing. It's been very appropriated and whitewashed from, and like most people, I bet I didn't know the, the original roots of it. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure people know that. And, and just cause I'm starting with the Greek part, I don't want it to feel more important because it's not archeological digs have discovered human remains that were held down with rocks or other heavy objects. It's believed that this practice was to keep the dead in the grave and stop them from coming to life. Can't blame them. <laughs> Often placing millstones on their hands and chests. There whoa, are also... Whoa, whoa, wait. <laughs> Giles Corey. There are also examples of this being done to children. Some of the earliest examples are from Cyprus, dating back to 4,500 BCE. This practice is similar to what we saw in Eastern Europe with vampiric legend, right? Yep. Listen back to our vampire episode to hear all about this. The ancient Greeks helped develop the philosophy, so to speak, of the undead. So they were the first ones who had this uh, philosophical idea of it's not living or dead. It's something different, right? Which is also very interesting because there's so many stories of people like fluidly mm -hmm. dying, going to Hades and then coming back. Yeah. And then just like. Being a normal guy. Once you walk out of Hades and you're through the gates, you're a normal guy. Right. One grave site was discovered dating back to Byzantine Greece. It held two dismembered bodies. One was a woman who had been severed horizontally completely in half. She was buried with a coin from the Emperor Constantine dating between 306 and 337 AD. 
and a dismembered leg belonging to a male. Evidence of a burial. So that's just showing, right, this, the span of how many years this, this kind of thing has evidence tied to. Evidence of a burial was also found attributed to Ottoman Greece, a Turkish cemetery with bones pinned down with spikes and nails. So this is just to say that this practice of pinning down bodies, which, again, we, we also see in Eastern Europe with vampires and all over the globe, pretty much, this fear of the dead coming back to life. And that could be vampires in some cultures. It could be zombies in subcultures. You know, there's a lot of different commonalities that run through the superstition. Listen, if you, you know, are maybe 20 years old, you got married at 10 (laughs) and Uh in arranged marriage, you know, you hated the person and they're finally dead. You just want to make sure they're really dead. You just, you don't want them coming back. So you nail them down, walk away, live the rest of your five-year life. There's actually new technology that has been discovered that, that keeps people alive longer, yes. No, that turns bodies into soil. So like instead of being buried or being uh, cremated, you could be turned into soil that could then plant new plants and sustain more life. So I think that I've decided that's what I want to happen to my body. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily new technology needed for this. Well, I'm saying there's a facility in Oregon now that's doing it. I, I don't know when this started becoming regular practice. But the whole idea of putting people into caskets that are airtight, hermetically sealed, pumping them full of embalming fluid so they don't decay, yeah, you know, that just seems so ridiculously wasteful. Totally, yeah, of you course. Know? Um, Not I, to, like, think about all of the land that is used by cemeteries. Uh, you know, that's why I love the very traditional Jewish burial where they throw you in, like, a... a sack like a burlap sack uh-huh. and they just throw you in the ground no, no. that's it and th- while this is not necessarily jewish I-, I also love the idea of they then plant a tree with the body yeah. so that the nutrients from the body feed the tree and the body is literally living on as the tree yeah i like that i want to like i want you to plant like roses and venus fly traps in my soil and then like food of course I mean, anyway. we've, we've already talked about this. I know, but I just want everyone to know so they can hold you accountable. We're going to just shoot you into the sun, <laughs> forcing it to go supernova. There's going to be some extra mass, you know, attached. <laughs> uh-huh. But it's going to take the Earth with it and the rest of the solar system. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because there's no sense living without you. Oh, you're very sweet. And you're all coming with us, you bastards. <laughs> if we look at Greek folklore, we get further confirmation of this fear of zombies. Vrikolakos, and forgive us if you're if you're Greek, are undead creatures of ancient legend. That's really I, that's really cool. It is not every day that you completely surprise me with a mythical beast. <laughs> that's how I keep our relationship spicy. And you're doing a good job. <laughs> it's usually seen as a similar being to the vampire. However, it prefers human flesh and liver to blood. Ah, the Prometheus approach. Its appearance is also very similar to the modern image of a zombie. The Greeks believed that one would turn into a rikolakos after death if they lived a sacrilegious life, Mm. or if they were buried in unholy ground, ate the meat of sheep that was wounded by wolf or werewolf, or were excommunicated during life. If you haven't listened to our vampire episode, like I said, there's a lot of overlap between this folk monster and the Slavic version of a vampire. 
Also, I so sidebar. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Yes. There's a lot of fun things about those like broad topics like vampires and werewolves and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I think we should revisit them. Totally. In some kind of pickup episode. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. No, I think we should. Totally. I, there's like so many things, especially now that we've we've done the history and we know more about it, like that we're looking, that we like connect. You know what I mean? And furthermore, it's only after we do these episodes and I learn these fun things that I'm like browsing through what weird movie we're going to watch and like, oh, this would have been so cool to talk about on this episode. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll do some kind of like monster update episode every Halloween or something. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the similarities between some of these monster lore is due to geography. So, for example, the vampire who, when we talked about in the original vampire episode, we discovered that, you know, after the, you die, your body becomes really swollen. A lot of times dark fluid comes out of your lips and in your nose, your mouth and your nose. Especially if they throw you in the river. <laughs> right. But even if you're in a coffin and so... If they these people were digging around in graves again, especially grave robbers and other people, they saw what looked like blood coming out of the mouth, right? And and the body is changed and fuller looking like they feasted, you know. So that was the the connection to a lot of the early lore. And actually, these places are not so far from each other, so it makes sense that these the Greek culture would have a similar sort of story, right, to explain some of this. Yep. You may be wondering if there is a way for recall us to infect people and yes there is this is the fun part the story goes that a recolacas may knock oh on... that's right we pronounce yeah recolacas it's the extra syllable in there it gets yeah. you every time yeah recolacas may knock on your door and call out the names of those who live there so like for example it could come to our door right now and it could knock once and it would say alan and abby and if we answered it before the second knock it's no good but oh, oh, if you oh. don't answer it before, then no problem. You just have to pretend you're not home. However, if you do come to the door, then you will become a zombie in a few days. So there's actually a tradition in some regions of Greece still not to answer the door until the second knock because of this. Cool. Yeah. Well, so as soon as you said uh, the whole like you're going to hear a knock of like from like the mists at night, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they actually have this beast in the witcher mythos oh cool which is all based on um not based on but sourced mainly from polish lore yeah which again they're all they're all very close to each other mm -hmm. yeah some believe that recolocos can even cause epidemics or pandemics in the community another callback to a previous episode of ours they said covid was caused by a bat <laughs> this creature has some ties to sleep paralysis it is thought that it can kill humans by sitting on them while they sleep. And as we know, right, like there's a lot of different cultural folklore legends around being tied down while you sleep, not being able to move, being immobilized while you sleep. Check out our sleep paralysis episode for more. <laughs> and yeah, and that's like one of the very key symptoms of sleep paralysis is this feeling of not being able to move your body, but being conscious. Yep. So there's also ties here with that you know a lot of i don't know a lot of the maybe this is just because we're reading a book that's on a theme but we're reading frankenstein right now frankenstein frankenstein 
And our really friends, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> our friends Amber and Patrick gave you the book for uh, the holidays, and I stole it from you, and we're both reading it. And now we have to share the book, which has proved <laughs> a very interesting experiment. Well, you're a lot farther than me, but it's also interesting. Like you know, I was kind of had this like moment <laughs> the other day when I was reading the book. So many of this is like about the reanimation of bodies, right? Like Frankenstein, vampires, zombies, they have a lot of really similar attributes, you know? Yeah, I was actually... So when we were doing a bit of research for this episode, mm-hmm. you know, I am I have a, a lot of familiar familiarity with zombie movies, but it's been a while, so I wanted to brush up and I was just trying to look out, look into what's out there. And it's really hard to nail down. Like, yes, you have your very traditional zombie movies, but what? where do you draw the line between a zombie and, like, a mummy? Yeah, exactly. They're all reanimated creatures in different ways. Yep. It's You're right. It is very... That's a great point, too. We also glanced over one of the f- most famous zombie cases of all time. Tell me. Similarly, uh, the, the body was nailed in order to restrict movement and then three days later bam back up and walking around year zero that's true that's a good point (laughs) jesus is just a zombie (laughs) year zero (laughs) though the ancient greeks had lore that would seem similar to a modern day zombie understanding the main cultural driver behind zombies comes from haiti a lot of this research comes from a PBS documentary that's also available on YouTube, and I really urge everyone to go and watch it. I'm going to link it because it includes interviews with Vodou experts and practitioners that can represent oh, cool. their own stories in a way that I, you know, in a better way than I ever could. That's awesome. A lot of this is totally outside of our wheelhouse, so I would direct you to the to the experts to hear it firsthand. Very cool. The actual zombie myth has been totally whitewashed by American culture with the rise of the zombie movie, which, of course, we will talk about very soon with our special mystery guest. Vodou, which is an entirely different religion than voodoo, is where our story starts. Vodou might have inspired the more commonly... And there may be some connections, like there are definitely some connections between the two religions, but they're very different. The people of West Africa were enslaved by the Spanish and taken to the island of Hispaniola in 1502, which of course is now Haiti and the Dominican Republic. By the end of the 1600s, the French started to establish colonies on the island, specifically in the western half, which is now known as Haiti. The region made up one-third. I just want these facts to sink in, okay? Okay. This region made up one-third of the transatlantic slave trade, and over 90% of the island was populated by enslaved people. Haiti is so small. One third of the transatlantic slave trade. So hang on. Yeah. As in it was a hub for the rest of North and South America or that's just how many. That's how many bodies were in that area. Oh, my gosh. Over half of the enslaved people were worked to death within a few years, which only, of course, encouraged them to bring in more and more people. Mm. So it's horrific, right? It's it's brutal and horrifying and terrible. Like, the, you know, just like let that sink in for a minute. The enslaved people believed that dying would release their soul back to Africa where they could be free. The zombie really at, at its core, we have to look at the idea of being enslaved, totally in a place that's not your home, separated from your loved ones, separated from everything. Talk about the worst curse imaginable, being exactly trapped after death 
And the feeling of not having control of your body, of your life, of feeling soulless and empty, of feeling like your soul belongs somewhere where you're not. Mm -hmm. There's so many ties when you think about it to this horrible thing that was happening. Suicide was common, but it was believed by people who believed in voodoo that the soul would be stuck in Haiti and would not be returned home. And after the Haitian Revolution, the zombie belief turned into local folklore and mingled with the voodoo religion. Because there were people on the island from so many different regions who all held different religious and spiritual beliefs, a new religion developed, which encompassed these different backgrounds, right, from from all these different regions of West Africa. Okay. Essentially, Vodou is kind of like a combination of spiritual and religious beliefs from, from tons of different countries. Mm-hmm. One of the basis of Vodou is that the body is a vehicle controlled by two elements of the soul. So one is a spiritual element that recalls memories, controls consciousness, and can contact spirits. It's, it's essentially your personality, right? Okay. And the other controls the body. So each of these elements can be taken from you. And after death, it is believed that the soul kind of sticks around for a few days, which puts these spiritual elements at risk of being stolen or wandering too far away. Sure. And you can start to see some of the roots of of zombies here, right, of of this soul that can be captured and this body that can be taken. Mm. Just a note about what I'm about to talk about, about voodoo and voodoo. There are certain words tied to certain parts of these religions that can have negative connotations depending on like what region you're in and what religion you are. Do you, do you have an example? Yeah. So the big one we're going to talk about is Bokor, which we see in, in some of the zombie movies we watched in preparation for this is essentially sort of an evil voodoo practitioner. But it's it can also be sort of a slang derogatory term in certain places. And so you'll see it in film. But I think people don't really realize that part of it. And so, again, they talk about it in the PBS documentary. They're interviewing actual practitioners. So I'll leave the link. Please watch that. But I just want I don't want people to go around freely using this word out of context. And you shouldn't anyway. But, you know, because it's not like a positive word. Got it. It's commonly known that these malignant sorcerers or priestesses are called Bokor. Malignant sorcerer. (laughs) They were believed to control the undead to do their bidding. The zombie movie actually really has a pivotal role in defining zombie history, uh, which we're about to talk with with our guest. But zombie movies really impacted pop culture and horror in a big way, right? And we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's very interesting to see how the first zombie movies actually are a little bit aligned with, with this Haitian history. And very quickly that is whitewashed and erased right okay so my one more thing that i want to talk about before we bring on our special guest is a man named clairvius narcy and i could be saying that totally wrong but we'll leave the link below he was a haitian man who claimed to have been turned into a zombie and this is actually really similar to the plot of the rainbow and the serpent that we watched. Oh, the serpent and the rainbow? The serpent and the rainbow, yeah. But he was an actual person. He was born in 1922. He passed away in 1994. And people kind of largely think that he was given, he thought that he was given this this powder, right, this this drug that made him appear to be dead. And he sort of came back. They, they think that they, he was given something like paralyzing pufferfish venom. Which is really, really awful. Right, with a combination of other things that would 
you know, kind of maybe lead to this. What's the pufferfish delicacy called? Pufferfish? No, it's got a, it's uh, fogu, maybe? Maybe. Regardless, kudos to the guy that figured that one out, that that one itty bitty piece of the pufferfish is not poisonous and everything else is deadly. Mm. Yeah. And, and actually similar to the movie, there was a Harvard like graduate student or, or graduate who yeah. went down and, and had like all of these dealings with this guy. So one, I know we're going to get into movies in a second, but speaking about the serpent and the rainbow, first off, who, who directed that again? Wes Craven. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, Wes Craven, clearly a very famous horror director. This movie, which really seems deep seated in Haitian lore and history and everything. Which is all mostly inaccurate. Well, I, I read that it was very inaccurate. Yeah. But I just read that. But me watching the movie and hearing your descriptions, it seems it's well, I think so, what you so read, if I remember what you read, said that it wasn't a good depiction of the culture. So like some of the facts and plot points could have been taken from this thing that happened, but that the way they depicted like Haitian culture was not really accurate if you went there. Okay, so we're going to, I'm just going to softball this one in, but let's say the serpent in the rainbow is to Haiti, mm -hmm. what Bram Stoker's Dracula is to Transylvania. Sure, yeah. And, you know, this guy claims that he was made to work as an enslaved person after he had become a zombie. So it, it relates back to this idea of the Bokor because what they would do was, uh, what they were known to do was to turn people into zombies so that they could sort of use them to do their bidding. Right, but they, the important delineation is that they were living zombies. There was no... Re people would appear to come back from the dead, but it was all through drugs well that's well that, there's different things here right there's this one guy where this thing he claims actually happened to him but predating all of that there was this belief in this this religion that this is a possibility based on how they believe the soul worked Got it. and so if you had and you see this in in the serpent and the rainbow but if if you had a soul that you could find you know this powerful sorcerer could get a bit from he could control your soul. He could control your body and make you do his work, which again, obviously is so on the nose with what enslaved people went through, you know, in, in Haiti. Got it. And it makes a ton of sense that this became the folklore, right? That they were being controlled by these powerful, whatever, but then comes along. So then comes Clairvius Narcissi, who believes that this happened to him and that he was forced to work as a slave in the, in the early mid 1900s. And a lot of people sort of believe he had been given this drug and had, you know, this crazy experience. All right. So we'll let you guys decide for yourselves. Yes. But Haitian zombieism is so badass. It's such a weird, occult, fascinating topic. Well, I will say, you know, when you look at, like we just talked about, vampires and werewolves and frankenstein some of these other i guess frankenstein isn't really like a pop culture or like frankenstein is Absolutely only a, i'm is. saying frankenstein is not like a, a was not like a folklore thing but if you look at even just vampires vampires were a reaction to people not understanding how bodies decomposed sure zombies were a reaction to enslaved people being brutally tortured and their whole lives being taken from them you know so it's a much heavier and tragic and real thing 
and and so you know what i'm saying like it it's it's got such a important history to to think about and to honor and i think that makes the zombie trope especially when it stays true to the culture so much more powerful for sure and so i we have seen how zombies which started as haitian culture have exploded into something that has come very very not haitian at all right and uh, i guess we shouldn't even say haitian really it's west african you know it's a right. it's a, a combination of sure. all of these cultures but right. yeah yeah that said i would love to see a return and resurgence of voodoo horror there's not enough of it yeah there's a smattering mm-hmm. and a lot of it is pretty dated at this point yeah I think it's such a cool horror topic yeah. that can definitely be explored further. But of course, you know, it has to be dealt with with the appropriate hands, right. with the appropriate minds. I was just thinking like not Kate Hudson and Skeleton Key. Absolutely. <laughs> like that's not Absolutely what we're saying. Not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, with we we don't we've seen so much cool black horror Absolutely. within just the last few years. I would love to see one that's even more historically rooted. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is, I mean, such a shortcoming on my part and probably all of our parts that like, I had no idea this was the history of zombies at all. I had no idea. And it makes so much sense now, Mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah. Okay. Well, we've been tiptoeing around the fact that we're going to be talking about zombie movies with a special guest. So I think it is about time to welcome the special guest on. Okay. All right, so now we're here with the very mysterious special guest that we have been teasing all episode. Alan, big reveal. Welcome, Kevin Murphy. Yay, welcome, Kevin Murphy. Oh, happy to be here. I I, I hope that uh, the, the allusions to the secret guests were very favorable. Oh, incredibly favorable. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we've been teasing, um, that, you know, we didn't know they didn't know who was going to be on. We just said, imagine, you know, your favorite celebrity and it could be them. You were begging for disappointment. No, not at all. (laughs) Kevin Murphy is uh, a good friend of mine. You know, we, we grew up together. We made a bunch of movies together and Kevin actually acted in the, the zombie feature that we made together. You made a zombie feature together? Yeah, I did. Oh, it was. I don't know there if were, I knew that. I mean, th- there's a there's a box set anthology of all of our movies that uh, <laughs> you know it, it's it's tough to pick just one out and hold it above the others. I mean, the 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 quality was just so high for That's for fair. all of them, really. It's it's true. Um, so this movie never got uh, officially released, but it was definitely quite the personal achievement okay so shall we talk really quickly about some more famous movies more famous zombie movies perhaps not that yours wasn't important in its own way but i was are there are there any i mean this is i I take some minor offense to that (laughs) characterization fair enough listen fair enough perhaps more so than any other subgenre early zombie movies play a huge role in melding and transforming culture and pop culture enter white zombie from 1932 And you've actually seen this, Alan. I have. Not that it's rare, but I I haven't seen it. White Zombie is the first zombie film ever made. The first feature-length zombie movie. The film tells the story of a woman who is transformed into a zombie at the hands of an evil voodoo practitioner. It's directed by Victor Halperin, screenplay by Garnet Weston, and it's based on a book, The Magic Island by William Seabrook. 
and starring none other than Bella Lugosi. Everyone loves a good Bella Lugosi. <laughs> Though it was mostly shot on the universal lot, utilizing common props and backdrops of pivotal horror movies right of the same era, mm-hmm. it opened to fairly poor reception. A sequel, The Revolt of Zombies, opened in 1936, and both of these films get a lot of shit for bad acting. Mm. It's yeah. not great. It's not great. I mean, is bad acting in zombie movies, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a staple <laughs> of the genre in a lot of ways. That's true. Absolutely. They were really ahead of their time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, for me that's that's the crux. Like we had to watch White Zombie in film school mm-hmm. because yeah, it's a very important film for the zombie genre. When I was in film school, the zombie movie fad was in full swing. So naturally, uh, it was a hot topic in film school. And so we had to watch White Zombie. And it's a really, really boring film. Obviously, it inspired. So the interesting thing about it, though, is that it's the first full length zombie movie. And it's really the last zombie movie. Not really, but for the most part, that touches on the, the Haitian roots of like how zombies actually evolved and became a thing. And so we see how quickly, right? Like it came out in one film, which was recepted poorly. And then that was it, right? It was kind of like everything became super whitewashed and appropriated. The next important milestone film to talk about is of course, the night of the living dead from 1968 directed by George a Romero. Though this film comes 30 something years after white zombie night of the living dead is seen as the first hit like the first blockbuster zombie movie that really was super popular. Totally. It's this film that really brings popularity to the genre. Though fun fact, the monsters in Night of the Living Dead are referred to as ghouls. It is not until the sequel, Dawn of the Dead, that premieres 10 years later that we see the word zombie used again. Interesting. Night of the Living Dead premiered with a bit of controversy. Horror films often screened at matinee times, and mostly teens and middle school kids went to theaters for this sort of movie. But young audiences were not expecting, and I'm saying this in quotes here, the extreme for the time nature of the movie. Robert Eper actually scolded parents for letting their children see the film in the Chicago Sun-Times. And this is partially due to the fact that it was released before the Motion Picture Association of America rating system. Oh, no way. Yeah. The film went on to gross $12 million domestically, and $18 million internationally, and it brought in 250 times its budget and was one of the most profitable films at, at, like ever made at that time. Can I jump in with my one fun Please. fact about this? Of course. Yeah, they made a bunch of money at the box office mm-hmm. and then zero money after the fact. Yeah. Do you know why? Because of public domain. That's right, but do you know why? Yes, I actually have it written right here. Oh, Alan. here we go. Oh, I'll let you explain. <laughs> <laughs> Night of the Living Dead is famous for many reasons, one of which being the great public domain logistical error. The film's, the film's original distributor didn't put the notice of copyright on the film's theatrical prints, meaning that anyone who obtained a copy could reprint it and sell it freely at will. Yep. What a blunder. Oh, don't, you, don't you feel foolish? Well, well, no. I mean... I feel that the fact that he didn't copyright his film made it so it was seen 10 million times more than otherwise. And the, but, Oh, no, that's probably true. I know. I meant you sharing the fact that was just about to be read. Oh. <laughs> interrupting in, interrupting oh, the, the flow no, no, no. of the I factual. Know, well, my life, Kevin. I, I, I had to jump in. <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't get to share my He fact. wouldn't get credit for knowing it. And that's, that's really. Right, that's yeah. right. 
I see. I so see. if yeah, if you want to see the official scoreboard, just click the link below. <laughs> Despite its <laughs> rocky initial reception, the film eventually received critical acclaim, and it's often included on lists of the best films of all time. With Dawn of the Dead from 1978, the cultural relevance of zombies was all but forgotten. Night of the Living Dead, it's fine. It's a fine film. My mom's going to be mad at you for that. She loves Night of the Living Dead. Well, she also really loves classic horror. Yeah. And it falls under the realm of classic horror. It does not fall under the genre of modern zombie film. I mean, yeah, sure. You're a modern man, right? You have a short attention span. You can't handle the depth of a movie from 1968. Yeah, that's me. Well, by... (laughs) I mean, by nature, the genre starting film would not be considered a part of the modern <laughs> zombie film era. Well, well, sure. So I, I feel that Night of the Living Dead established zombie rules, right? So, you know, right, Romero right. made zombies, reanimated corpses that shamble around, and they, they don't actually want brains. That's not Romero. That, what do they want? Right. Um, well, they... Human, they, they eat... Well, so that, it was, that was eating... Flesh introduced in it, the original in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. The, the whole, like, zombies wanting brains actually comes from Return of the Living Dead. You could, in theory, if you wanted to consider yourself a zombie movie purist of sorts. As we do. As, as we, we certainly did. And, you know, I don't know if over time either of us have really softened in our... <laughs> our uh, attitudes here but um that exact storyline the reanimated corpse where they're infected with some kind of virus but then again you then if you really want to tread the line of you know zombie purist mm-hmm. do you have to die from the virus and then become reanimated as opposed to say a movie like 28 days later sure. where you the virus itself doesn't kill yep. you but you are no longer really in control of your own body, and it turns you into another, you know, you could argue it turns you into something else. Well, this is this was a really fun talking point as we were going through just, like, history of the zombie and how in Haitian culture, the zombie was somebody who was, well, de- depends, you know, on the context, but oftentimes it was a type of medically induced spell on a living human being that was controlling their actions. And it wasn't, I, I say it wasn't until modern cinema, but that's not true as we did a deep dive into like Greek mythology where it's like, oh, people are coming back from the dead and that's why they had to put boulders on people so that they wouldn't do that. So just to finish the point earlier, the, the whole mythos of zombies wanting brains was not originally from Romero. It was from Return of the Living Dead, which was directed by Dan O'Bannon, who was... Uh, a bit of a competitor to Romero. And I actually forget the drama about their um, rivalry, but it was, I remember it being fascinating. Hmm. Oh, how like O'Bannon worked for Romero or something on night of the living dead or something like that. And stole his ideas. Uh, no, like they co-wrote it or something like that. And then he didn't get credit. So he just went rogue and made his own movie. It's something like that. Interesting. But that's where you get zombies that, talk for one right um then that's why you get brains and also they're invincible which is kind of cool like you get the whole shooting them in the head from romero and but with o'bannon it's just no they're reanimated why would killing them in the head stop them they're fully animate flesh how do they how do they become defeated then they kind of don't which is (laughs) a very interesting 
I like that. Very defeatist. It's a problem. It's a problematic way, you know, to to have to end a movie that way, yeah. you know, without having a, a real way to remedy the issue. <laughs> but again, that goes back to, you know, that remind, you know, reminds me this was, you know, the 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 zombie purist in me that that bristles when you hear, you know, somebody just casually mention zombies eating brains yep. and you just want to be like, nope, that's just not that's just not how it well, works. I feel like we put the cart before the horse a bit. <laughs> Why are we so familiar with zombie movies? Besides our blockbuster film exploits in this <laughs> regard that are or at least somewhat related to <laughs> zombies, we would uh, have annually a zombie movie marathon that uh, we affectionately referred to as ZM Squared. I learn something new about you every day, Alan, I swear. <laughs> and we would, uh, and we'd, you know, we'd all pile into, usually it was in Ethan's basement. Quick shout out to Ethan Collins. <laughs> Quick shout out, yep. And then, uh, but that was right after we would usually, like I uh, had mentioned uh, before we started, going to Blockbuster and mm -hmm. renting every movie that had the word zombie on the title or back of the case. And then we would you know, have a debate as to how we, the, the real issue became structuring the evening because we were up all night watching these movies mm -hmm. and we needed to, you know, you need to pace them properly. <laughs> you do. You do. It wasn't easy. You can't just go classic, pure zombie horror. You have to break that up right. with some lighter, you know, some lighter stuff or, you know, later on, like really late in the night, you have to break that up with some truly awful movies <laughs> that we really just shouldn't have they shouldn't have been in blockbuster anyway but they got their dollar 99 off of us so <laughs> that nonsense i mean and and you guys were renting from blockbuster meanwhile all of my contributions were coming from the public library that's true that is true and you know there were there were there were some real winners from that lot as well i gotta say we we discovered some lifelong favorite films through uh, the zm squared what made you decide like we're gonna do an annual zombie marathon of all things it was, it started on a Halloween, I'm pretty mm. sure, where we were at that age where we're a little too old to go trick-or-treating comfortably. That sounds right. But we yep. wanted to just have a movie marathon. And sure. again, this was during the heyday of zombie films. Got it. Because the Dawn of the Dead remake, I believe, was, I want to say, 04. I think. Yeah, it was, it was early 2000s. And I think that was, I would argue, that was really what what kicked off the whole yep. next totally correct uh, next wave, wave. Yeah. so yeah the dawn of the dead remake directed by Zack snyder of all people which is it's always funny to see people's earlier works before they go on to make justice league but that movie is a great zombie film it really is it hits all of the notes it hits all of the, the tropes of romero but it kind of defines the modern zombie film of you're going to have a group of survivors they're going to kind of be pitted against each other. There's going to be a bit of drama, but the whole time it's going to be fun. So that was early 2000s. And so when we started doing our zombie movie marathon, this was when the slew of especially low budget zombie films was full underway. But that said, a bunch of the movies that we watched during this were from well before. So let's discuss some of the favorites. Is there one that really just stands out for you, Kevin? I have always gravitated toward the, you know, it's like you said, the, the, the blend in Dawn of the Dead between the, the classic zombie movie, but also the, the more 
the moments of levity in the movie sure. that they managed to work in, I have always found myself gravitating toward the zombie movies that don't take themselves too seriously yep. and maybe even are outright made as, you know, a, a, almost as comedies. Mm-hmm. So I would say the one that always sticks out and I still find myself going back to is Army of Darkness. I knew you were going to say it. Is that what we watched on Halloween? We, You have not seen Army of Darkness oh. yet. What one did we watch on Halloween? We watched Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Also on my list of, uh, of ones that we had watched, but... Uh, Army of Darkness technically being the third movie of the Evil Dead trilogy, mm-hmm. where you can kind of, between one and three, kind of dials from a horror movie with some lighthearted elements yep. to a comedy with some half-assed horror <laughs> elements. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it becomes a, a comedic action film with spooky elements. That's true. That's true. So yeah, Army of Darkness, for anyone that is not familiar, please just check out this film. I really don't want to spoil it for you. It is just such a treat to watch this movie. <laughs> you can't beat Bruce Campbell. Honestly, the entire Evil Dead trilogy, yep. top notch. Uh, you know, I highly recommend all three movies, but if you watch them back to back to back, you will end on a on a high note in terms of uh, just overall mood uh it's just a great just a great ending uh to that trilogy but uh you, you can't you can't really beat bruce campbell in that regard a, a very important note if you're going to watch the whole trilogy evil evil dead one and evil dead two are the same movie there is no difference between the two so sam raimi director of many huge films including the spider-man trilogy directed the whole evil dead franchise and he loved the idea behind evil dead But the first one didn't have a huge budget, and the execution was good, but it could be better. And he acknowledged this, and instead of remaking the film, he just calls it Evil Dead 2, and it's the same exact plot, same exact characters, everything. It's the same exact script. They just call it Evil Dead 2, but it's the same movie with a bigger budget and practice making the first one. So it's just a better version of the first film. Whoa, that's very weird. It is, but it's great. <laughs> There's like a very brief script patch where it's like, oh, we're here again. <laughs> and that's it. And back back to it. The Sam Raimi, you know, not being afraid of the the campier elements uh, of the genre is very helpful. Uh, Absolutely. In, in, in moving the story along, which is something I think it's tough if if I learned anything from watching these movies, it's tough to make a zombie movie that takes itself entirely seriously. There are very few of them that do it exceptionally well. It's true. But when they pull it off, it's phenomenal. So I'm I'm thinking specifically of 28 Days Later. Oh. That's exactly where I was yeah, going. I was thinking of Train to Busan. Sure. Uh, one of my fa- one of the most emotional movies ever made. Okay. So good. We can we're, talk about that later. We're, we're, okay, we're just we're just gonna make a, a we got a lot to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> Twenty Days Later for many years was my absolute favorite film, and I, I think Kevin's gonna back me up on this. It's just a phenomenal movie overall that just you buckle up and you just go. I will back you up both that it is a fantastic movie and that it was your favorite movie <laughs> for a long time. It's true. I can back that up. Great storytelling. It uses. So it's interesting. I I love that you brought this up earlier, that they're not technically zombies. They are people with the rage virus, but they behave very similar to zombies 
So it makes it close enough for the zombie genre. It also treads the line very well that I think a lot of zombie movies get lost in, which is trying too hard to explain the outbreak. Yeah. Which a lot of a lot of movies get caught up in. I think some of them, you know, like in in the Dawn of the Dead remake, especially, I mean, it just is something that's happening, yep. you know, and, and then the, the protagonist there at the beginning, it she realizes what's happening, you know, a little too late, obviously. But uh, 28 days later, they explain that whole thing in that opening couple of minutes and do it very well yep. in a way that doesn't get bogged down in you. You know, it's not a uh, either. I forgot which one, if it was either Return or Revenge of the Living Dead with the uh, the government you know, contained substance and then it infects the guy who dies and they burn the body to dispose of the evidence, which goes up in the atmosphere (laughs) and creates acid rain that falls on a cemetery. And it just, it's too, too much, too much. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head. It's the science behind things is not what people are terribly interested in because they're breaking a lot of convent. They're breaking a lot of the rules of physics to make this possible. Don't try to sell it too hard. People are here to see the surviving slash zombie killing action. Or in 20 Days Later case, it's just the character development. And I feel like zombies are the perfect uh, foil to really put characters in a situation that brings out their inner worth. They are in heavy survival situations that they just have to really decide what is truly important in order to to progress i will say i'm re-watching um all of the seasons of survivor right now and i can attest to the fact that putting people in survival you know no matter how fake survivor is like it really does bring out an interesting side and it's a very easy mechanic for this kind of movie you know now there, there's a show that could have used some more zombies <laughs> i agree i actually i love that you also brought up train to busan mm. because it just sounds it, that that for me is the very next film since 20 days later where I actually cared about the characters. I cared about the character. I sobbed and like I'm prone to sobbing. So it's not, I guess, like that telling. But I sobbed at the end of Train to Busan. It is you get so connected to the characters. It's so perfectly well done. It's a Korean film if you're not familiar with it and you can find it. It's fairly modern. So you can find it, you know, very easily on streaming apps. Mm-hmm. It's I can't recommend it enough. I know we've talked about it on this podcast, but it's to me one of the most effective zombie movies in that way. And, and I do think there's a place for like comical zo- zombie movies. Absolutely. Like we watched yep. Cemetery Man last night and it was incredibly fun. But if you're talking about like a, a zombie movie, like you said, Kevin, that takes itself seriously. Train to Busan is like such an effective example of that. Yeah. And, and it's it's tough. And I think that but that would became I think 28 days later in a lot of ways kind of showed that that was an angle you could yeah. take with that yeah. with that movie and do it well. And I mean, there's something to be said to say that a zombie movie has what I think are some of the more striking shots mm. of of movies in a long time when he wakes up and is wandering through the empty streets. Absolutely. To have a movie like that be something that you remember shots like that from is is pretty astounding. Also, I, I don't know the last time you revisited this film. So Abby had never seen it. We watched it last year, maybe two years ago. So that was the first time that I had watched it in many years. That movie was filmed in standard definition on DV tape. 
which is mind blowing to because like again you're talking about I, I know exactly every shot you're talking about of him walking through an empty London yeah. and it's, it's yep. so iconic. Yeah. It's insane to think that they could even have done it like so well on DV tape because it's so to your point, Kevin, it's so incredibly beautiful and stunning, but it was done on like crazy outdated technology. Everyone's cell phone has so much more horsepower than <laughs> the cinema cameras that they use for this right. film. But even watching it now, it doesn't feel like that. No, like you're like, it looks stylized. Right. And it works. Yeah. It, it was just like a very happy collision of things. Enough about 28 Days Later. It's a great <laughs> film. Everyone loves it. If you don't, I'm sorry. You're wrong. <laughs> what are some of the more obscure movies that we watched during the ZM Square that stuck with you over the years? It's funny. I, I don't know. It depends on how you want to define obscure, mm. because actually it's funny. One of the ones, I don't know if it would be offensive to call it obscure, but you just mentioned one of the ones on my list was, was Cemetery Man that we had watched. And I think a lot of people would not be too, su- you know, s- super familiar yeah. with that film outside of thinking about this genre. But that was mm-hmm. that was definitely one. Also, when's the last time you've seen Cemetery Man? I don't know if I've seen it since we watched it i mean i in the movie marathon i definitively had not until last night i am so glad we watched it it (laughs) was so fun it was like it started off as kind of like a serious zombie film and then it like devolved into like an absurdist absolutely ridiculous but it was so fun and like clever but it's not campy it's i would say it's campy i i would just say it's (laughs) it's like a more of a surrealist art film there's like one point where one of the characters is like dating just the head of someone <laughs> i would say it's campy oh, i mean there's comedic elements for yeah. sure so I, I remember when kevin when we first watched this film we did not love it i think the reason was we just saw it when we were too young yeah i would agree with that i think it was not to be all stereotypical about kids in high school don't understand <laughs> we don't understand what love is <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I would agree. I mean, we were all we were all there to watch, uh, you know, to watch Dawn of the Dead yep. and watch some zombies get their heads blown off with shotguns and stuff. And it just, you know, it's it's not really quite along those same lines. Uh, but I now that we're talking about it, definitely I think it definitely deserves a deserves another look. Totally. It, we weren't expecting or capable of appreciating a non linear escapade of one man's love affection (laughs) for the reincarnated soul of this woman that just keeps entering his life but you can watch it in a very shitty version on youtube for for free free. (laughs) oh well there you go um (laughs) it's 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 a great it's honestly a great movie and i wish more movies were bold enough to just say fuck the plot (laughs) <laughs> this is how you should feel watching these images. Yeah. It's it's a poetic zombie movie, I'd say. Yep, very much so. We also mentioned, like we said, we mentioned Dead Alive. Yep. That went over. That one, one went over pretty well. Right, because we're teenagers and we love gore. Dead Alive, for anyone not familiar, holds the record for most violent movie of all time. For Sorry, most bloodshed in a single film. Interestingly enough, most of that comes from a single scene. Which is not as bad as you think. It's not, but I mean, the b- amount of blood is copious. Yeah. So go watch it, is what we're yep. saying. Yeah. 
uh, obviously. All the movies we're mentioning. Well, the ones we mentioned so far, there's obviously we're going to get into territory of ones that you can probably skip. Also, it's it's interesting that we, we keep talking about these zombie films that are early works of very famous directors. And Dead Alive was directed by no, none other than Peter Jackson. So That's right. yeah, he got some practice making a zombie movie and then goes on to make Lord of the Rings. Well, he also made The Frighteners, which is Absolutely. a very, very good scary movie mm-hmm. i'm not i don't remember if we ended up watching both of them or if i'm just remembering one or the other there was zombie without the e it was either zombie two or zombie three and i can't remember which one it was it was actually zombie four zombie four and i so maybe i'm confusing it because i believe the zombie two and three didn't have the e but zombie four sounds like it might have had the e uh it well the, the problem is that all of these movies were foreign they were released under different titles, depending on which country it was released in. So Zombie 1 through 3 never made it to America, but Zombie 4 did. I see. And, so they added the E. Um, right. And I forget what that movie was about. What country was it shot in? I want to say Italy. And also speaking of, I actually haven't had the chance to watch it yet, but um, in preparation for this episode a while ago, I posted on Instagram and asked a bunch of people to, you know, what their favorite zombie films are. And a bunch of them were foreign zombie films I'd never heard of. And one is called The Horde, which is really high on our list to watch. Just if anyone's looking for a recommendation, that one comes highly recommended from a good, good source. We'll probably do a deep dive into it on one of the Horror Movie Club episodes. Yeah, we should. That would be great. Yeah. But Zombie 4 getting back to the you know the really good stuff sure sure if you want if you want to see something truly unique when you're going to watch a super zombie battle with a shark that's the only that's actually the only part that i feel like i remember now that you say that and i'll tell you what a 90 plus minute movie to remember the fact that a zombie fought a shark is not is not a good sign how does a how does a zombie fight a shark only one way to find out check out zombie 4 one of the most memorable movies from the ZM Squared, outside of the more famous ones, was Zombie Strippers. Oh, I've seen that. You've seen Zombie Strippers? Yeah, I watched it in college. I have that on my list as well. We, uh, you know, that was a, that, that was a, I don't want to say classic because <laughs> it wasn't. Um, didn't really, didn't really join the, the, the list of zombie classics, but it certainly is worthy of note. So, in this... You have a very successful exotic dancer, right? And then she gets bitten by a zombie. And then once zombified, becomes an even better dancer. So all the other dancers become very... Jealous? Jealous. And become zombified themselves to try to compete. Uh, I I think that was a very interesting spin on the genre. Yeah. Because it's still mixed with hunger for flesh and biting and all those things. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure that there's some deep dives into capitalism or male hunger or something in there. Sure is. Yeah. And Robert Englund is in it. So, yes. you know. Freddy Krueger. That's, that's, you know, what, more, what more could you want? <laughs> I, think, I think Nightmare on Elm Street was his big break. Debatable. So, you know, I'm thinking of The Last of Us series which I don't know if you've ever played uh, a, a great series that started on PlayStation three that got later continued on PlayStation four and five is all about the real life zombification that happens with ants and fungus. 
that this type of fungus controls these insects to basically become real real world zombies is a real thing and they repurposed it as if the fungus mutated and started affecting human beings and it's a very cool spin and adds a, a lot of just real life human notes to it which getting back to 20 days later that's what makes a truly great zombie film that isn't just fun or in this case it's a game but it feels like you're playing a movie did you ever play left for dead i did i played a lot of left for dead in college shout out to matt laz and owen o'neill we used to play in our dorm rooms and then owen would hide outside and like scare you know it was it was literally a majority time waster for us was playing left for dead which gets back to like what is fun about zombies it's just shameless killing of other people well it also i think left for dead more so relates to me about what's fun about horror because a lot of it is being scared because you're walking through really dark creepy abandoned places and there's different types of zombies, mm-hmm. but a lot of time it's like a jump scare in Left 4 Dead where they come out or you're dealing with this witch character who's, you know, like a, a impossible zombie to defeat. And a lot of it is, and, and there's actually this key in Left 4 Dead when you play that if you don't know what to do, you have to follow the light part of the screen. Yep. And so to me, there's a lot of like what we talk about when we talk about why do we love horror. Sure. And I actually just was on... Um, Jollyville Radio, a friend podcast of ours, and talked to Michael Crosa and Uncle Asar Alkabalon about the adrenaline and, and the reasons that people are attracted to horror because mm. you feel safe, you're home, you're in a theater, but you get to ha- go on a roller coaster experience and it releases emotions and it's catharsis and you're experiencing something, right? So I think like zombie films and, and these kind of games are very relevant to that type of horror because it's whether it's fun and crazy and zany or whether it's like actually fucking scary. Like it's a really great tool to kind of tap into that like side of the survival thing. It's usually like everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. You're in an abandoned place, right? Or it's Mm -hmm. the dystopian future or whatever. And it's like this survival fear, like this primitive thing that, that is engaged when you watch it, you know, like what would you do in that situation? It's like adrenaline rush. Yeah. I mean, Left 4 Dead was wonderful for just throwing you into it. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was definitely a horror game. Yeah. It just happened to have a lot of very fun action mechanics that tied it all together. Like the boomers. Like the boomers. But then, yeah, the witch or the tank shows up and you're just like, well, we're fucked. <laughs> what, what, what are you going to do? Either of you guys play Call of Duty Zombies? I have not. Yes, of course. For me, that really culminizes the genre of what is appealing about zombies and that you have enemies, right? Blatant enemies. They are humanoid. They have a human body, and you can just shoot them guiltlessly. You can just mow down hordes, and it's fun, and you are doing a service to humanity. <laughs> Speaking of which, Call of Duty actually has a free iPhone or a free like uh, phone app now, and you can just play online. Like You can play like all of the classic maps on your phone neat yeah so sorry just just a sidebar are they are they a sponsor actually no but it's funny because i only learned about it from listening to another podcast where they were a sponsor i was gonna say (laughs) i think i i've heard i've heard that ad as well (laughs) (laughs) so the the thing that i i found myself thinking about was really an another aspect of the genre that i like is that 
you can kind of combine it's kind of like you could do there's always a movie that fits if you like create kind of a an equation Mm -hmm. of zombie plus blank equals and then there's always going to be a movie that like fits the other side of that equation so like if you have other things that you really are looking for so like you know you could even go you know with if if you wanted to watch like dead snow you got zombie plus nazi (laughs) equals dead snow you know and we've talked about you know if you want you could really classify army of darkness as a time travel movie If you're really into time travel. Zombie plus Back uh, to the Future. Right. Zombie plus Love Story. We talked about Cemetery Man already. Mm-hmm. Evil Dead, I guess, would be what? Zombie plus Chainsaws? <laughs> uh, zo- yeah, Zombie plus like Black Magic Witches, you know? Zombie plus Comedy. There's a million entries in that whole thing. And I think that has really been a great area that they've gone in the last few years, especially. You know, we have Zombieland. Mm-hmm. That really was just a, a really well polished, very remarkably short movie. It was, uh, you know, a really good movie in that regard. And then I would classify it as more of you know as a, a dark comedy. But I really enjoyed Cabin in the Woods. Oh yeah. If you want to kind of classify that as a a subgenre, mm-hmm. I think as much as you can call Dawn of the Dead the 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 spur of the more modern era in that way, I think it'd be pretty easy to say Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm ended up kind of kickstarting the comedy zombie era. I think that's very fair to say. Which, obviously, a terrific movie. Yeah, yeah. a classic movie. Yeah, everyone loves Shaun of the Dead. It's just a very fun everything when it comes to cinema. It does all the things right where you have survivors killing zombies, getting really good action, so many funny moments, but you still actually care about the characters, which makes it kind of a unique film in the genre. I mean, you definitely get that again in Zombieland, but there's so many movies that have zombies. They're comedic. They don't take themselves seriously, but they're also don't build up the heartstrings with drama like Shaun of the Dead does. Well, another British zombie movie, which I don't know that you guys would have seen, Anna and the Apocalypse from only a few years ago. I actually saw it in a theater before covid have not seen it it came out around the holidays one year it's a musical zombie movie it's definitely a parody but it also has like tons of real emotions i definitely cried during that one too and the soundtrack is amazing and i will just say her fashion is also amazing so anna and the apocalypse it's probably on streaming apps now because it was in theaters it definitively is i was searching through i think hbo max and there it was there you go and it's it's very fun i recommend it a lot it's one of those movies that's clever and funny but also has you know like real fear and real human connection i'm excited to check it out yeah check it out check her out that was one i actually wasn't i wasn't ready for in the uh the equation zombie (laughs) plus musical (laughs) but that one i was not familiar with so i'll definitely have to definitely have to check that out it it further proves proves the 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 hypothesis of you can take anything throw it with zombies and it's probably been done. There will at least be a super low budget version of whatever you're trying to combine with zombies somewhere. That's that's definitely for sure. Well, have either um, you seen The Dead Don't Die? So Jim Jarmesh, uh, very famous director, and a bunch of people worked on this film uh, simply to work with him. And, you know, uh, Bill Murray's in this film. So many huge, huge celebrities have very small roles just because they wanted to be in the film. 
uh, Tom Tom Waits is in the film. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, um, everyone just like came together to make this happen, and it's just a celebrity zombie romp. <laughs> it's so so fun, and it's great storytelling. I love that. So I, I guess that would be my modern zombie movie recommendation for the night. Anything with Bill Murray, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Abby, what's yours? Well, I gave my recommendation of Anna and the Apocalypse, but again, Train to Busan is one of my favorite films of all time. So, Would you recommend that over Cemetery Man? Yes. I mean, it is. Cemetery Man is incredible, but yeah, Train to Busan is like a cinematic masterpiece. So yeah, I would. Fair point. All right, Kevin, what's yours? So, I mean, I think I'm still, I'm going to have to stick pretty hard on Army of Darkness. Good man. Um, <laughs> but at the same, but for, but if you want to go the entire opposite direction, I'm surprised we haven't brought this one up yet and perhaps see one of the worst movies that we saw in the entire history sure. of the zombie marathon. Gotta be first. Uh, highly recommended you try to get your hands on a copy of vampires versus zombies oh that was not cool. it might be on amazon which they have a lot which, of those which truly might be the worst movie i've ever seen in my life i, I thought you were gonna say redneck zombies see that was good but the problem but that would have been a contender if not for the best line it was rescued the entire movie was rescued by that one line that we would repeat for years afterward. It's true. What was the yeah. line? What was the line? Well, so when the zombies finally show up, you know, they're always just kind of like in the background killing people. You know, there's going to be some kind of crescendo sure. when the main characters finally realize what's going on. And the v- zombies finally show up and the line is... See, they, they come across the zombies and the guy looks... And he takes his hat in his hands, he takes it off, and he goes, zombies. And he throws the hat on the ground and just goes, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It, and it's just, oh. it's just delivered in such, in such a horrible B-movie <laughs> way. But also, he's just so, it, it just begs, it begs so many questions. <laughs> Well, Kevin, oh my gosh, we can't thank you enough for being a guest. And it was so wonderful to have a little peek inside Alan's adolescence. You know, this was this was groundbreaking <laughs> for me. I mean, I, well, I don't know what you're talking about. This is... <laughs> I mean, it, I'm glad I'm glad it was enjoyable for you. I don't think any of us really enjoy taking that deep of a peek <laughs> into our adolescence. But uh, somebody else's, I guess I can see where that would be entertaining. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. This episode was so fun for us. We learned so much about zombies, and I hope everybody goes out and watches 10 zombie movies now because you should have a long list of recommendations. Mm. As always, you can follow us at The Lunatics Project on Instagram. And remember to DM me there or email me at filmsaboutlunatics at gmail.com if you ever want to submit a story for the podcast. And stay tuned for later this week because, like we said, we're going to have a shorter companion episode to this deep dive, which is going to be full of zombie stories. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bye. Bye, everyone. You can you say bye, too. Oh, yeah. me? Oh, hi. Bye, everybody. <laughs>
consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.